I wanted a place for people to receive authentic guidance and practical ways to awaken. Thought-provoking, paradigm-shifting, and empowering. This is about expanding our human consciousness to create a wave of new possibilities. I'm Dr. Teresa Willard-Wyke, and this is Quantum Minds TV. Welcome to Quantum Minds TV, where we take a deep dive into various perspectives on what it's going to take to create a shift in human consciousness. Today on the show, I'm very excited to have Billy Carson joining me. Billy is the founder and CEO of Forbidden Knowledge TV, as well as the best-selling author of the Compendium of the Emerald Tablet and Woke Doesn't Mean Broke. He's also the winner of the 2022 Stellar Citizens Award. And Billy's earned a certificate of science with an emphasis in neuroscience from MIT, as well as a certificate in ancient civilizations from Harvard University. And among his many notable achievements, Billy is also the CEO of the First Class Space Agency based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which is involved in research and development of alternative propulsion systems and zero-point energy devices. So welcome to Quantum Minds TV, and thank you for being my distinguished guest today, Billy. It is a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. I've been looking so forward to this. I'm, I'm so happy to be on your show. Wonderful. So something I've been thinking about a lot these days is what is it really going to take to create a shift in collective consciousness of humanity? And I truly believe that it starts within us as individuals. And then from us, it flows out into the world and our interactions with others. And yeah. one of the key things that you and I have been discussing is, that is part of that is, uh, you know, there's a couple really important things that, that we need to make in shifting ourselves as individuals and then mm -hmm. shifting as a collective. Mm -hmm. And you and your life have really uh, shown, you know, just you are the proof, the living proof of that to show that we can shift out of lack into abundance. Um, maybe I can ask you to dive, dive in here. What, how would you define abundance? And then uh, we'll, we'll kind of just explore a little bit further into that. Well, you know, abundance is a very tricky topic because depending on a person's context and perspective, they tend to think, a lot of people tend to think that it means you're talking about being extremely financially wealthy uh, and that you have all the things money can buy and so forth and so on. And you've got, you know, you've got uh, expensive cars and expensive houses. That's only one tiny aspect of abundance. Abundance is really have to do with uh, the way that you're manifesting your life moment by moment. And it has to do with all aspects of life, not just a financial area, but even in relationships, you can be abundant. In family life, you can be abundant. Uh, and just in your everyday life, we're dealing with life's requirements, like having a roof over your head, having clothes on your back, having electricity, clean water to drink. You know, I mean, those things are also part of the abundance package. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just a financial aspect of it being wealthy and rich beyond your dreams. It really means all your needs being met when they need to be met. And if you're a person that can go through this lifetime and, and you're manifesting your lifetime needs, your, your daily needs are being met when you need them to be met, that's abundance. That's wealth. And if you have your health and that 
working hand in hand, you're really super wealthy. We maybe say then that uh, abundance is about having flow versus accumulation. Yes, right? there, thank there's you. There's a flow in your life. You always have what you need when you need it. And yeah. then maybe some overflow so that it's not just about taking care of your needs. Mm-hmm. It's also about then being able from that overflow, your needs are fulfilled. And then we can flow that out towards our purpose, our passion, our desires. But it's not about accumulation. It's always keeping it in flow. Yeah, exactly. That is the key. And understanding the how to how to create that reality tunnel where that flow is continuously providing for you consistently, but that takes a journey to inner space. It's not on the outside that you're going to find this ability to manifest this flow. It's always going back internally into your own self. I love that. The inner work and the sense of inner abundance. You know, in the in the mystery school tradition, we talk often about having balance between physical abundance and what we might call spiritual abundance or that sense of fulfillment and joy within. And um, one of the ways in which that spiritual abundance really comes is through uh, service in a way. It's like taking our gifts, our our gifts that come from our highest, truest self, Mm -hmm. and then flowing that into the world in a way that benefits others, that helps empower others, that helps remind others of their own empowerment and their own greater purpose and potential. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so being in this flow of service helps us kind of have a sense of fulfillment because as we make that positive impact in the lives of others, that's where our sense of fullness and fulfillment and joy really is going to come from ultimately. How have you experienced that for yourself? It's a great feeling when you go into these acts of service, you know, and you're being uh, in that mindset, that's a high frequency mindset because now you've, you've dug deep into yourself and you said within yourself, I want to take this manifestation of this abundance and I want to bring it outward on whatever level it is. It could be something as simple as knowing that someone is potentially sick at home or uh, has an injury or maybe just unable to get to a store to pick up something that they need for their daily life. And just making a phone call and saying, hey, I'm already at the store. Is there anything I can pick up for you? Don't worry about paying me right now. Is is there anything I can do for you? And then and then taking that to that person. That one act creates such a reverberation through space-time. It sends a ripple out in space-time that really alters the future reality of not only you, but also even that person. Because now you've just raised their frequency. You've, you've basically transmitted a love virus to them, which they can then pass forward to someone else. And so it creates this ripple effect moving forward in time of another person loving another person and loving another person. And that's really where uh, a lot of this reverse karma comes back in a positive way and just blesses your life. I love how you said that, Billy, that wave of love just rippling out from us. And, you know, when we all, you know, we can all relate to this experience of, of feeling love. And when we do, you know, it it truly is sending out a ripple because uh, Kessler University actually did some research that showed that when people are feeling a state of love in their hearts, they literally are putting out more light, more photons from the heart out into their field. And it's it's like 10,000 times more lumens or or uh, uh, energy coming out from the heart 
than what we would have at a normal resting state. So we're literally putting out 10,000 times more light when we are in that frequency of love, when we're in that coherent state of feeling love. Now, perhaps you've felt this, you know, when you're in that state of love and you're in love with someone, you're falling in love, it even creates not only this sense of elation within us, but it shines out from us. And people may even comment, you know, they may not know what's going on in your life, but they might say like, wow, whatever, whatever you're doing, it looks really good on you. Like what's changed in you? you or you look so shiny and sparkly and happy. And this is the, you know, this is the way in which people feel that energy of love emanating out from us, even if they don't know what's going on within our lives. So when we can actually create that state of being without it having to be about romance, for example, but just being in love with life, being in love with ourself, being in love with the, you know, the divine, whatever it is. And we just remember every day to come into that state of love and the gratitude for that love flowing in our lives. We will be shining that light all the time. So not only is it being good person and being kind and doing acts of kindness, but it's doing it from a place of love. Like, I love yeah. how you just said that, you know, I'm, I'm doing this from love because when, when we take love into action mm -hmm. and, you know, we act from that place of love, that is, you know, that flow of service, kindness, yeah. goodness, and, um, and then it's, it's, paying it forward in a way, right? And that yes. ripple effect. And then, you know, it's not just about doing it because we feel good from it, right? It's doing it because we know that we're in a position to really do something that right. supports another person. Mm -hmm. um, now, what I would like to maybe dive a little bit deeper here with um, abundance and and that spiritual abundance is when we are, for example, doing something good, right? We think we're doing an act of kindness and yeah. and doing something good for somebody, how can we do it in a way that is not just helping them feel more comfortable in life? Because maybe sometimes they need a bit of a push, you know, they need that empowerment and to, to be pushed out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And we want to support from a place of love, we want to support their growth. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes they don't want to be push, you know, they want to stay in the comfort zone. Right. So sometimes that service isn't necessarily making people feel more comfortable or mm -hmm. better. Uh, have you ever encountered any examples of, of having to yeah. bring that tough love? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Another, you know, sticky topic, but uh, touchy topic, but you know, you have to understand that there, there will be times where you have to incorporate tough love because Unfortunately, the way that human beings are set up, a lot of us are kind of pre-programmed to accept offerings and then be all of, we convert that offering into entitlement. We become more entitled. And then we start feeling like this person or these people need to do these things for me. And I should just be able to sit back and do nothing. And so it becomes a delicate balance in between giving just enough help, but also then dropping words of wisdom on someone and letting them know in a very professional, kind, and loving way that they need to find a way to, to, to find solutions to their problem, that I can't always be there for you on a consistent basis. You're going to need to find, figure out a way, and then making some suggestions to that person. Now, what I found before in, my, in the past, when I ran into these situations, some people have taken my advice and blossomed, 
and done very, very well and thank me for it. Some people, ego got in the way, unfortunately, uh, and they couldn't take the esoteric wisdom. They couldn't take the knowledge. They couldn't take the understanding that what they're doing is actually using people instead of trying to find a way to save and help themselves. And so unfortunately, those people, after the third or fourth time of me trying to assist them and help them and give them potential solutions that can resolve their situation, I realized that at that point, you have to cut them off. Not cut them off as if you're completely blocking them out of your consciousness. You know, you're commanding and you're blessings into their, into their, into their life, that they turn their mind around. But you got to always realize all you can do is open the door. They have to walk through that door alone. And so you've opened the door for them. You've, you've sent them love. You've sent assistance. And now all you can do from a certain standpoint is continue to send them a frequency of love. And then at some point in their life, maybe they'll turn around and, uh, and begin to work for themselves and realize that they are their own savior. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, and this is one of the big things that we're running into in our world today is there is so much entitlement happening. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, by working hard by overcoming challenges, that's what makes us stronger. That's what develops the character. Um, And so yeah, I I think that the shifting out of entitlement mindset Mm -hmm. into a true abundance mindset we're realizing that we actually need to earn our abundance, right? The, the, yeah. We will honor our abundance more. We mm-hmm. will sustain it and manage it better yeah. when we actually honor it. And, um, that, and we'll honor it when we've earned it, right? Because yeah. we knew how much work it took to get that versus exactly. just expecting somebody else to give it to us. And, and I like what you touched on around, you know, um, giving and generosity versus sometimes that tough love needs to come in. This is like one of the biggest uh, teachings in the Kabbalistic system. There's this, this aspect of the tree of life that is all about abundance and limitless light and limitless flow and generosity and mm-hmm. benevolence and giving and kindness and service. Yeah. And we have to be careful around where we fall into <laughs> enablement versus empowerment and enablement Mm -hmm. is often like we're feeling sympathetic for a person right we have sympathy for them and a lot of people want sympathy these days but what we really need to do is feel empathy versus sympathy and for some people it's like well what's the difference right Mm -hmm. and empathy is okay i feel your your situation i feel you I can empathize with that situation. And I know that in this challenge is an opportunity for your growth. And you are the one who has to, you know, put in that effort to walk through that door towards your growth. I can help you, but you have to do it. Right. Exactly. Whereas sympathy is like, I'm so sorry. You're let me take your pain away. Let me know. There's an attachment to the person's condition. If you give away, all of the Lego blocks to your castle that you've built to everyone else, you'll look down and realize you don't have a castle anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It happens. It happened to me one time. I learned the hard way. You know, when you get on an airplane, uh, right before they take off, the stewardess has the little video that comes on and they demonstrate what happens if if you lose compression in the cabin, uh, then the oxygen mask will drop. And they'll tell you, make sure you put your oxygen mask on first and make sure the oxygen is flowing before you help anyone else. And I learned a lot from that just being on the airplane. And I realized, wow, that makes so much sense in life. 
And then if I'm suffocating, how can I continue to help somebody? So if that person's suffocating me, I have to realize it has to be a barrier. There has to be boundaries set to where I can help. And I only lend out money, for example, on what I can afford to lose. So I'll lend money out to people, but I only lend. I learned this lesson the hard way because I lent too much money out. I only lend what I can afford to lose. And I've learned now to be able to actually say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so important. Like when it comes to having really healthy boundaries, both with ourselves and with our relationships, uh, we have to know when to say no yeah. and when to say yes. Right. It's not always yeah. no. We don't want to have walls up, yeah. uh, but it's also not always a yes where we have zero boundary. Right. Because yeah. that just allows people to walk all over or take advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ultimately it comes to recognizing, you know, if, if we're finding ourselves in a situation where, um, it doesn't feel balanced, whether in, in a relationship with others, uh, we're giving too much, we're finding ourselves being depleted or taking advantage of, you know, and, and that can lead to bitterness or mm-hmm. resentments. You know, ultimately, we need to look at ourselves. Where did I help create that pattern? Where did I help create that situation, right? Exactly. We all feed into everything. So we're actually becoming part of the system that's creating that person's reality and their belief system by our participation or collaboration with them, good or bad. And we have to realize that. And every decision we make is going to have a consequence, whether it's a good consequence or a bad consequence. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, that brings us to another topic that I'm sure we're going to dive into, which is around victimhood, you know, being a victim to the circumstance and what that person did or what those people did versus recognizing our own personal responsibility. Uh, But before we move on, uh, I wanted to just with the abundance topic, I really feel like your life is such an example of someone who, you know, you were uh, born into a situation that was not an abundant situation where there was a lot of lack of, you know, a lot of poverty, a lot of um, challenge. And, and yet you did not let that define you. Yeah, I'm definitely a rose that grew from concrete. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we, uh, I grew up, I was born in New York. Uh, and then we decided, well, we, my parents decided uh, when I was only six, just about to turn seven, to move to Miami, Florida. And the reason why is because my father, unfortunately, he was on drugs and alcohol. He was an alcoholic. Um, he'd be at all times of the night. Sometimes he'd take me with him, believe it or not, to these bars <laughs> in New York City. Wow. You know, back then in the 70s, you could take a kid to a bar. Nobody would stop you, especially if you, if you were a regular there. You could put the kid at the bar. And uh, he would put me on top of the bar uh, some nights and have me reciting uh, biblical scriptures, believe it or not. Anyway, it's a whole other story. <laughs> my mother got fed up with all this. She said, okay, we're going to move to Miami. And I'm thinking, okay, this could be a fresh start. Then we went to Miami and I was like, I don't think this is a fresh start. <laughs> we went to like this hardcore ghetto in Miami called Opalaka, a kind of a um, unincorporated part of Dade County where there was actually a steel gate around and it's funny because it's in the tra- shape of a triangle, right? Now we talk about pyramids all the time. Inside that triangle called the Bermuda Triangle, inside of the city of Opalaka was where the majority of the crime, the murders, the killing, the drug dealing, the drug addicts, the prostitution, everything was in that triangle. And we lived in the triangle. Uh, and the cops wouldn't come in there. I mean, they knew better. They wouldn't even come in there. Uh, you couldn't even get any help. And, you know, uh, it was really, really dangerous. Um, the crossing guards would rob us on the way to school. That's how bad it was. The crossing guards. 
the school. You'd have, if you had money, they'd take that. If you had food, they'd take your food. So we had to figure out a way to go around the backside and come in through a side gate of the school to avoid crossing guards just to get to school so we can have our lunch. Uh, you know, and then at night there'd be bullets hitting your house from all the gun battles. And so we'd sleep on the floor some nights that way the bullets wouldn't hit you or kill you while you're in bed. You sleep on the floor behind a, a pillar, you know, a, 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 a solid beam that went across the floor. And so it was a really a real wild ride. Um, and during this time, I was, you know, just wanted to go outside and get ice cream from an ice cream truck. That was my only sense of, you know, normal life. But I couldn't even do that. We had no food to eat. We were eating matzo crackers and butter. We were eating um, Cairo syrup and toast, powdered eggs and all this kind of stuff, uh, government cheese. And one day I just took all my toys and I sold all my toys door to door for donations just so I can have money for the ice cream truck. This was at the age of seven. But that was an amazing moment for me because I realized at that moment that there was nobody coming to save me. I, I literally said it. I said, there's nobody coming to save me. I can do this on my own. I, I can do this. This was a good example for me, just going door to door, you know, asking for money, but providing something for the money, not begging, but still providing something for the money, giving away my toys, which I realized I didn't need them anymore. And having that money in my hands, I was like, wow, there's a way out. <laughs> I realized at that moment that if I can keep this mindset I'm going to get out of this situation. I'm going to escape this because I told my mother, I don't belong here. And she knew it. And uh, but so in instead of taking the, uh, the mindset of accepting that reality and accepting the condition and accepting I'll probably never get out of here and I'm going to live like this forever, my mind went in the opposite direction. Hey, I can get myself out of here. I can put a plan together and I can get myself out of this situation. At some point in the future, I don't see myself here anymore. So I started focusing on solutions instead of focusing on the problem. The problem was all around me. Didn't have to think too hard or look too far to see the problem. But what solutions can I provide for myself? And when I started focusing on solutions and then making plans, then I started just escalating out of that situation. And by the time I was 16, I was already on my own, running a business, uh, still going to school, graduated, you know, and all that on my own. That's awesome. So there's several keys, it sounds like, in terms of the attitude that you adopted. I mean, one of them is looking at, okay, nobody, nobody's going to rescue me, right. right? So if I want to get out of this situation, I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to be my own savior yeah. uh, to, you know, rather than looking at the being like the victim mindset about the circumstance, you, it's almost like you put on a different set of glasses and you started seeing your life. Right through a different lens. Like I'm no, this is not where I belong. I belong somewhere else. And then what can I do now to create that reality? Mm -hmm. And then three of, you know, instead of asking for the handout and just, you know, the pity party and the sympathy and playing upon people's sympathies, because you sympathize with your own situation, you didn't, you stepped into that empowerment and said, okay, I'm going to, raise funds but i'm going to do it through some form of exchange right right bringing some something to the plate where you then would receive uh, an exchange for that and then just the positive attitude right problem solving versus um focusing on the problem we focus on the solution so those are some amazing keys that you've just shared there for people <laughs> if anyone is in a situation i mean yeah. you know if, if you could do it anyone can do it it's just yeah. that mindset needs to shift right that's all it is i mean i looked at the situation i was in 
my brother, who's only one year younger than me, uh, born in the same month, both born in September. And he went, you know, when the fork in the road came, he went this way, he ended up doing 10 years in prison for a uh, robbery and attempted murder. We both grew up under the same exact conditions. And I'm not putting him down. I love him to death, but I'm just showing you, you can grow up in the same exact condition, the same exact situation, but a slight change in the mindset and the way you, you see the situation continue send you down a totally separate road, which I went down the opposite road. And, uh, and my road took me to where I am now. And so I look back and I go, wow. And I realized something, no matter what the condition, no matter what the situation, ultimately the person makes their own internal decision to participate or not to participate. A hundred percent. So it's, it's not only participating or not participating, it's choosing how do we want to respond to this situation? How am I, what am I going to do to create the reality or the best result I possibly can? The meaning we give it really tends to be that determining factor as to whether we go down that road of success with it and empowerment or down the road of victimhood and, you know, continuing to create more of the same. Do you have any advice for how people can really take the positive approach Mm-hmm. to the meaning they give it in their life. Uh, yeah. And sometimes the most traumatic events can be the most life-defining moments as well. Right there. And they have to understand that these are your life-defining moments. All of these events that seem to be leading to a dead end or tragedy, or you have to realize, okay, this is a time, a moment that I can take to grow consciously and spiritually. And so you, what I do is I take a, when a, a situation is facing me, I take a step back. I take a step back and I want to put on my universal spirit eyes and I want to look at all the potential situations, all the potential outcomes. I'm not going to let it flabbergast me. I'm not going to let it overwhelm me. I'm not going to let it stress me out because that's going to put me in a fight or flight mode, which is going to suck all the blood out of my brain and bring it to the, 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 you know, the reptilian part of the brain. And it's going to take all the blood away from my uh, my organs and send it, you know, other places. And so now I'm in a mode where I got my muscles are ready for running and, and, you know, and, 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 and fleeing. And my brain is only in survival mode. I can't really think if I'm letting myself get stressed out and scared and frightened and all this kind of stuff. So I ha- you have to take a step back and just meditate and sit back for a minute, focus on it logically, focus on all the potential outcomes. And then Start looking for potential solutions. When you see the outcome that you want to bring into your reality tunnel, focus on creating a plan for that potential future outcome to arise because we live in a world of probabilities. This universe is of all probabilities, probabilistic nature. So what it means is that the outcomes aren't fixed. Destiny isn't fixed. It's all based on what you do in the current moment, which creates the different future reality. So understanding that, finding the outcome you want now start to focus on that outcome and then start to focus on looking for solutions and plans that will allow that outcome to actually unfold in your life. The Anunnaki talked about this, or the Sumerians talked about this in the Sumerian tablets. They talked about these Anunnaki beings. Some of them call themselves the ordainers of destiny. And then we use this exact same technique thousands of years ago to create the realities that they want to see on this planet. I said, wow, I can apply that same thing to my life. And guess what? It works like a charm because we're talking about every every future reality exists in superposition of one another. And so there's no definite reality. 
until you collapse one into your definite reality, but by focusing so intently on it and focusing on the solution to those problems, and whether you have to go get some assistance from somebody, create the solution yourself, research and study, and also don't forget the planning part to make sure you have a step-by-step goal to get to that end result, all of a sudden you'll see that it won't be a problem anymore. It'll just be a situation, a bump in the road that you hit, and you'll handle it to the highest level that you possibly can, and you'll move on and get beyond it. Let's take a little bit of a deeper dive into this concept of collapsing the waveform and manifesting our reality. Now, this comes from quantum physics. And just to you know, explain for, for everyone who's listening, when in quantum physics, this idea that is called the observer effect came in when the scientists started realizing that according to how they set up their experiment, that would determine whether they were, for example, if they were observing light, uh, photons, they, if they expected that they were going to see these photons as particles, then they would set up their experiment to see, well, is light a particle? And then, of course, they would actually see, yep, light is a particle. But then they knew from optics way back that if no no light behaves as a wave like almost like waves in water but in you know this is through air so what if we set up our experiment to see if light is a wave and then they would do so and then of course they would see yep light is a wave but in the mindset of the physicists at the time it's like well how can light be both a wave which is spread out over a large area versus uh, or a particle which is finite and very you know specific and discrete how can it be both in that mindset of, in the time of the classical physics it was that it was one or the other it couldn't possibly be both but in the quantum view it is both it's both and so it's a yes and yes um, and so what this showed though was that based on how scientists set up their experiment based on their assumptions, based on their expectations, based on you know the, the actions that they took to actually observe whether light was a wave or a particle, uh, that, that determined what they got out of the quantum field. And they saw the same thing for particles, like when they looked at electrons, they saw the same phenomena. If it was, it was both a wave or a particle, depending on how they chose to observe it. So this then created something known as the observer effect that it said that, you know, these, these phenomena, whether it's light, particles, you know, materiality, not just at the, you know, atomic and subatomic scale, but even at macro scales, we see that these quantum principles operate even all the way up to the cosmic scales and, and how things are, are happening within like massive structures like black holes, for example. Quantum physics works at all these scales. And so this idea that we can have multiple possible states, simultaneous possibilities, and until we make an observation, we don't know which state it is in, right? Is it wave, particle? Is it, is it this energy level or that energy level? We don't know until we make an observation or until we make a measurement. And so the observer effect said that it really required human observation, consciousness to come in and observe and, and become aware of the result before it actually did what they called collapsing the waveform. And the waveform 
was basically that there was all these simultaneous possibilities, and then some of them were more probable than others, and that would form this sort of wave packet uh, of possibility in terms of what we might get out from the quantum field. And so the key here is that the quantum realm has many possibilities, many probabilities. Reality is not fixed. It is in this superposition of many possible states, many possible realities all at the same time. And until we consciously observe, and, and really when it comes to observing, we choose how we're going to observe based on our assumptions, our biases, our expectations, and so forth. So this informs the quantum field, and then the quantum field gives us back kind of what we're expecting. So this makes us really sit up and pause for a moment and say, well, what are my biases? What are my expectations of what I'm expecting to get out of life? What's my story? Because according to our story, whether it's subconscious story or the, the things we tell ourselves consciously, this is what we are expressing to the universe, communicating to the universe what we expect. And then the universe and the quantum field gives it back to us. So when we can change our story, when we can change our belief systems, when we can change our expectations, then we will be able to start contributing new information into the quantum field and manifesting a different reality as a result of that. And the, the key here, though, is that the more you can come into a state of coherence with exactly what it is you're trying to manifest, not just consciously wanting it and say, universe, give me this, but you have to believe it at a deep level and you have to be fully in alignment with that thing that you want to manifest. So the more we come in, for example, and bring that frequency of love into um, coherence with the intention of what it is we want to create, and we're creating this whole being state of coherence aligned with that intention, then we put it into the field and we're going to have a much stronger chance of getting it out. And that is where the magic of the observer effect comes in. Join us again as we continue to dive deeper into this fascinating conversation with Billy Carson on the next episode. This Conscious Conversation was created, produced, and recorded by Dr. Teresa Bullard-Wyke in collaboration with Billy Carson and edited by Verse Content. The theme music was created by Tim Mountain of Evenload Productions. Quantum Minds TV is a product of the Quantum Learning Academy.